Good morning, Daybreak Community Church. As I drove in this morning, uh, it's always a great reminder. As I drove in this morning, it's always a great reminder of the new homes that are getting built here. Uh, you know, I've said before, I remember when Daybreak was here, it looked like we were in a farmer's field. Um, and so God is continuing to expand our reach. We'll talk about that this fall, especially with the new homes that are being built right there. We want to be great neighbors. We want people to find Jesus, but we also want people to go, that's my church, even though they might not attend us on a regular basis. Uh, for the next couple of weeks and then coming back in September, what I'm going to do in this next four weeks is raise a problem. Uh, I'm not going to offer you a solution because I don't know if you've noticed or not, but many of life's problems are way too complicated to solve in 30 minutes. I'm going to raise a problem and some issues that you may identify with, that you may feel, and at the end of the message today, if you feel a little bit frustrated, I want you to know that I'm going to take that as success. Are you ready for this question? Here's the question. Do you ever feel like Christianity isn't working? Do you ever feel like you're serving Jesus and following Jesus and trying to trust in God and it isn't working the way that you thought it would? Today, I'm going to try to be really honest with you. And I wonder how many of you that are sitting in front of me, if you were really honest... And remember, we're in a church. Might say something like this. Man, I'm burnt out on the busyness of church. Or you might say that I felt and I've wondered, God, why aren't you answering my prayers the way that you're answering the prayers of so many other people? God, I'm doing everything right. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm doing everything right and everything still seems to be going wrong. Does it ever feel like Christianity isn't working? It could show up in any number of people's lives in any number of different ways. It might be the young boy who grows up going to church with his family. He does all the churchy stuff. He's in vacation Bible school. He takes home pictures of David beating Goliath. He's in youth group. He has his first kiss in the back of the church van. Some of you can relate. He's plugged into church. He's doing the right things. He goes home. And what he sees at home from his parents is really inconsistent with the message that he hears in the church. And there's hypocrisy, and there's sin, and his parents fight all the time. So he prays, and he's worried about his family. God, please save their marriage. And they end up divorcing, and he wonders, God, did you hear any of my prayers? Do you even care, God? Does Christianity even work? It could be a couple that's doing the right things. They're dating, they're waiting, they're doing all the right things. They serve actually in the youth group. They're on the worship team. They have a lot of faith. And then one day, one of them loses a job. 
And then both of them lose their child. The burden from those situations leaves them losing their marriage. Both of them ask, where's God? Does does Christianity even work? It might not even be that dramatic. In fact, in your case, I'm guessing for many of you, it's not that dramatic. It, It may be that you go to church and you do your daily bread devotional every morning. I mean, you listen to Shine FM radio or the message on XM Sirius Radio. You might even have a church bumper sticker on your car. You have a decent job. You have a decent place to live. You have a decent car. You have decent friends. And you may even get to go on that decent vacation. And you're serving God and you're still not happy. You're not fulfilled. So in the back of your mind, you start asking yourself this simple question, does Christianity even work? If you've ever been there and wondered, is there a better way? I want to bring a message to you today that I pray will speak to your heart. If you're hurting, if you're overwhelmed, if you're confused, if you're discouraged, Today, I want to pray the words of John 14, the words of Jesus, that these words would speak to you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 14. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen right behind me. Here's what Jesus said in 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 chapter 14, verse 1. Red letters in some of your Bibles. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go, Jesus speaking, and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know. You're aware of the place where I am going. Thomas asked, Lord, we have no clue where you're going. So how do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For the next few weeks, four of them actually, we're going to study there must be a better way than what I'm doing right now. I don't want you to raise your hand in your, in your mind, in your heart. Just wrestle through this. How many of you would agree that the way you do something or the way that you say something actually matters a lot. You can tell the truth, but do it in a way that's ineffective or even rude. I don't know if there, if I, any of you have ever seen crazy, mean Christians. It's an oxymoron. Crazy, mean Christians. They tell the truth like Jesus loves you, but you're a sinner. That's the truth. But probably not the most effective way because the way matters. If you're not married yet, you'll learn that in marriage. The way you say something actually matters. You can say something like, are you wearing that? Or you can say, are you wearing that? Okay, same thing, different way. One leads to this and one leads to another. You got to say it the right way. Maybe both of those ways aren't good, so don't take my example. 
The way always matters. As Christians, I don't know if you notice this, but generally we think of the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what we focus on? The truth. At least preachers do, which is important because you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We often talk about the truth of Jesus, but we rarely talk about the way of Jesus. Jesus is, yes, the only way to the Father. And that's the one way we talk about it. But I also believe living the way that Jesus lived is a reflection of the truth that Jesus taught. We often talk about the truth of what he said, but we often overlook the way that he lived. I I want you to wrestle through this, and I actually want you to wrestle through this this afternoon. What do you think the early Christians were called? There was a title. There was a phrase. What were the first Christian, what was the first century Christians called in the books of, book of Acts? Let me give you some hints, okay? They weren't called Christians. They weren't called religious people. They weren't called Bible thumpers. They weren't called holy rollers. They weren't even called Jesus freaks. According to the book of Acts, Guess what they were called? People of the way. Let that sit in your heart for a second. People of the way. It's fascinating to me that when you look at the way they lived, their goal wasn't just right theology. And it wasn't just strong morality. Their goal was to live and love the way Jesus lived and loved. In fact, when you think about the way that Jesus lived, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't just look at the truth of what he talked about. Look at the way that Jesus lived. And compare the way that he lived to the way that you and I live. You'll often find, and I found this this week, there's a huge difference from the way that Jesus lived to the way that we live. Think about it for a second. What's the way that Jesus lived? When Jesus interacted with people, Jesus was always full of joy. And most of us, when we interact with people, we're full of stress and anxiety. You didn't see Jesus going around saying the economy is falling apart, the Roman government is terrible. He didn't worry. He told us, don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. He's got it covered. And most of us are freaking out all the time. Some say that we're the most anxious generation in the history of the world. Jesus, as he walked along, when he saw someone who was in need, he stopped and he spent time with them. I don't know about you, but most people say, I don't have any time for that. He was consumed Jesus was consumed with the ongoing intimate fellowship with his Father. I don't know about you, but I can't pray three minutes without being interrupted by a text or thinking about what my next meal is going to be. Imagine if Jesus were like most of us. Just picture that for a second. Jesus lived in the day. Imagine if, imagine if he was like most of us. 
We have a hard time even getting our mind there. Can you imagine if he was walking or connecting with people? You wouldn't hear him complain about the number of church meetings. See, Jesus is not just the truth and the life. He's the way to the Father. The first century Christians were focused on living and loving the way Jesus lived and loved. When you think about just the way Jesus interacted, if you'll notice, every time you read Scripture, how did he get somewhere where he was going? He always walked. Jesus never scurried from one town to the next. Jesus wasn't hurried. I don't know about you, but I'm always rushing to the next place. The scariest thing to me, and I've noticed this, that I'm becoming the person that I don't even like. Always rushed, always anxious, always pushing, always short, going faster and faster, thinking it's better and better. I want you to, this afternoon, actually do this. So here's a little homework for you. I want you to look back at some of the old photos of yourself. Guess what? When I look back, one thing I noticed from the past is I know that my heart was lighter, not just my weight, but my soul was actually lighter. I was happier. I was more content. I was more full of joy. I was more full of peace. I used to have fun. I used to be relaxed. I used to have time to really engage with people. I used to really enjoy the presence of God. And now I'm rushing to become a person that I don't even like. So I'm coming to a place where I recognize that I need to make some changes. This summer has taught me a lot. I'll share more in the fall with you. But I've kept asking myself, God, where are you? So where does, where does that put us? Does Christianity work? Like I'm supposed to be one of God's people, right? I'm like, I'm doing your deal, God. But I'm grieving, I'm hurting, and feeling like I'm inactive in my leadership. See, Michelle, my wife, will tell you, I'm like, let's get it done. God has the same deal, I feel, with me. God, here I am. Let's do the Bible study. Let's get it done so I can move on to the next thing. I don't know about you, but I want you to think about your effectiveness when you're tired. Think about how effective you are as a person when you're tired. See, the way I've been doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. Good intentions born out of a sincere love for Jesus and his church. Let me say that again. The way I've been doing the work of God has been destroying the work of God in me. I'm guessing that there's someone here who needs to hear that. The way you've been doing the work of God might be destroying the work of God in you. It's not just the way that you're doing the work of God, but maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your pace. That's destroying the intimacy that God wants to, you to enjoy with him. Maybe it's your insecurities. Maybe it's unresolved hurts. Maybe it's the uh, deepest fears that are distracting you from the work of the Holy Spirit who wants to strengthen you and draw you close to God and make you effective in the world. And so, 
what I'm working on is starting to slow down. Because that's not what the world says. We push harder, we grind it out. That's the way to success. That's the way that you get ahead. That's the way you get happy. You push, you drive, you achieve, you conquer. The world would say you get things, you flex on them. You saw it, go get it. Here's what King Solomon wrote in Proverbs. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. The way I've been serving God was actually hurting the work of God in my heart. One of the books that I've read this summer from John Mark Comer is called this, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Some of his teaching will leak out over the next few weeks. Just make sure you you get that book. He talked a lot about what was said in Matthew's Gospel. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, We have a familiar passage that all of us probably have heard at some point in our life. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So if you feel like you're worn out, if you feel like you're burnt out, if you're wondering where Christianity is, what Jesus is actually saying is, Come to Jesus. And as we come to Jesus, Jesus says, as you come to me, I will give you rest. Then let me just warn you, the next verse gets a little bit weird. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me if you're worn out, and I'll give you rest. And then Jesus says, Take my yoke. If you don't know what a yoke is, that's where it might get a little bit weird. A yoke is a wooden cross piece that joins two animals together to work together to accomplish more. When they were joined together, they actually have to work at the same pace. Jesus is saying this to us, friends. Come to me. And I'm going to give you a work tool. If you're exhausted... I'm going to put a work tool around your neck. That's just weird. When I'm exhausted, I want a massage. I want a bubble bath. I want Michelle to rub my feet. I want a vacation. I don't want a work tool to be around my neck. What's interesting about a yoke is there's no single yoke. Any time that there's a yoke, it was for two animals to join together. And what Jesus was doing was saying, if you're worn out, if you're burnt out, if you don't know this is working, come and join me, Jesus. I want to give you a better way to be. Listen, not join to your schedule, not join to religion, but join to Jesus. Not just to believe the truth, which I hope you do, but also to live the way that Jesus lived. Now some of you may push back and say, but Jesus was no single mom with two jobs. Fair enough. Jesus didn't have student debt loan. Jesus didn't have to work for the boss that you work for. All that's fair. 
I'm with you. But Jesus still had a pretty big assignment here on earth. I mean, he had to be perfect. He had to save the world. I think we can learn from him. Called by God to be without sin and to give us his life, Jesus loved freely and still disconnected from the crowds, the rush to get alone and be intimate with God. Friends, Jesus had long meals with people that he loved. I have lunch delivered in my office so I can eat in five minutes and keep going. Jesus had deep conversations. Jesus stopped to listen to those who were hurting. If you ever wake up and think that there's got to be a better way, I can tell you there is. And it's not just the truth of Jesus. But it's the truth expressed in the way that Jesus lived. So what I'm not going to do today is give you a quick fix. In fact, what I want to do is I want to give you a moment just to sit in the frustration that you are feeling long enough to get sick of it. To look at who I was becoming and saying, I don't like that guy as much as I used to like the old version. I'm sick of the pace. I'm sick of the stress. I'm sick of the anxiety. I'm sick of the fear. I'm sick of being exhausted. I'm sick of about feeling like I'm exhausted. I'm sick of going back and making the same promises that I made for the last seven years and breaking the same promises. I'm sick of the way I'm doing life. See, I told you at the start, I'm not going to solve your problems today. I'm not going to solve them ever. But I'm going to tell you where we're going to go in the upcoming weeks. I want to just tell you because I want you to be here because together we're going to grow closer to God. Most of us are rushed, stressed, overwhelmed. So next week, we're going to talk about the unhurried rhythms of grace. Most Christians I know are overcome by temptation and feel far from God and feel like we're spiritually dry or dull. We're going to talk in in a couple weeks about the unbroken fellowship with the Father. How do we enjoy His presence intimately in an ongoing awareness of of His presence? Most people, myself included, are unfocused, preoccupied, distracted by all kinds of stupid stuff. Then we're going to talk about, in September, we're going to talk about the uncluttered pursuit of God's mission. How do we stay on task, growing to become who he wants us to be so that we can do all that he calls us to do? Most people today are regretting a past they can't change, worry about a future they can't control. And we're often present physically, but somewhere else mentally. We're going to talk about an undivided attention in the moment, watching as Jesus is always present, learning to do the same things. If you're tired of the grind, tired of the stress, miserable and afraid, angry and anxious, too many problems to solve and too much weight to carry and too much pain to bear, there's got to be a better way. There is a better way. His name is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the life. And he's the better way. There's a better way. His name is Jesus. And in Psalm 23, David said these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Listen, this summer what I've learned is this. I can choose to lie down 
or God will make me lie down. What I've discovered is in Scripture, the Bible never says, be busy and know that I'm God. Be rushed and know that I'm God. Be hurried and anxious and overwhelmed and know that I'm God. So in my hurt, in my pain, in my disappointment, in my loss, God showed me the way I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. He showed me clearly, and I'm going to show you over the next few weeks what he's showing me. There's a better way. So my invitation to you, it's an invitation from God, is to come to Jesus. Don't come to church. Come to Jesus and he'll give you rest. You don't have to earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. It's Jesus' gift. Take his yoke. Be joined with him. Do life with Jesus, guiding you, and you'll find rest for your soul. So what's your assignment this week? Come to Jesus. Just join me in his presence. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul. Let me pray and we'll move into communion. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love and adore you. We're excited about the journey that you're going to take us on. May you be Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I don't think there's a better way to finish this message than to take communion together. So if, does everybody have a communion element? That's great. If you don't, we'll get you one. Judy, we'll get you one from the back. Communion's a great opportunity to just remind ourselves. We remind ourselves at Easter Oh, Jesus died, he was buried for three days, and he rose again. And communion, what, what Paul wrote in Corinthians is, we need to do this often because we get to look at each other and go, we serve a God that's alive and not dead, which is a really cool concept for us. We don't serve a religion. We don't have a list of things that we have to do. When the cross happened, it restored relationship with the Father, but it also enabled us to have regular fellowship with, with God. So our prayer time is effective because that wall has been broken down by Jesus. And, and Jesus used some pretty familiar elements when he had the Last Supper with his disciples and if you want to grab the, the bread, that would be great. Just peel that first layer off and grab the wafer. And Jesus looked at his, his disciples and he said, My body, just like you see bread, it's this physical, my body, my body is broken for you. My body is broken for you. And, and Jesus looked at them and said, Do this in remembrance of me. Like, do this so you remember the great gift that I've given to you. And so in communion, we celebrate two elements. We celebrate the physical body being broken. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. That's hard for our mind to understand that. But the bread represents his body. It cost something. There was pain attached to the cross. 
And so as we, as we take the bread together, we get to proclaim to each other that this is his body, this is his body that was broken for us. Okay, so let's take this together. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken. What a great gift. We know that you walked and you showed us the way that if we look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can see this pattern to life, this rhythm that you created. We are so thankful that we have an example of how to face temptation, how to interact with people. We thank you that on the cross, you were willing to sacrifice your body for us. Thank you. Amen. Now I want you to peel back the layer to the, the cup. And the, the cup always is an exciting piece for me. We need the body, but we also need the cup. The body being broken for us, that would have been nice. But the, the cup, Jesus held up the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is the ultimate sacrifice. In the past, you, you needed to bring your best. You brought your lamb and you sacrificed it. And that enabled that relationship to, to continue with God. And now Jesus went, I'm the ultimate lamb. And he, he looked at his disciples and why I like the cup so much is he goes, I have eagerly waited to do this. Like this is my life call. For 33 and a half years, I've done what the Father sent me to do. I was obedient to my parents. I grew up. I loved going to the temple. I performed miracles that restored people back to the way that they were supposed to. But then this was it. This painful moment was it. I will have accomplished what God sent me to, to accomplish. And so he held up the, the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is for the forgiveness of sins today and always. Not just one moment, but always. So when you react poorly this week, the cross covers that. When you do something that you shouldn't do this week, the cross covers it. It enables us to do what 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to make us whole again. So let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus, for that great gift, the great sacrifice. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We love and adore you. We are honored to be associated with you, to be Christ followers. May we be what those first century Christians were called, people of the way. May that be descriptive of us, of us here at Daybreak. Daybreak Community Church, those people of the way. May we live and love in a way that you've called us to. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.